morning. Welcome to uh, Sunday morning worship at Grace. We are so glad that you have decided to join us this morning. And uh, this is our Palm Sunday morning, Sunday morning worship. And um, this morning's message is going to be on perseverance. And what a better uh, time to talk about perseverance than, the, than within the current crisis that we're in this morning. This is our third week meeting virtually. Uh, our plan is, it uh, looks like May 3rd is when we'll be returning. So we, we hope and pray that that will actually take place. We encourage you to continue to pray for the deliverance um, from this virus and protection from it as well, and that God would be glorified uh, through the process. Again, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We pray that the service will be a blessing to your heart. Well, good morning. We're grateful you've joined us at Grace Bible Church in this online service. We're together, if only in the spirit, and uh, we're glad to see you. And if you're a visitor to Grace Bible Church, um, and if you had been in the sanctuary, we'd be asking you to fill out a visitor card so we know of your visit. Um, we do have an alternative. If you go to our website at gracehollister.org and go to the contact page, you can actually send us a note and uh, let us know of your visit. or. If you have a prayer request, you can certainly submit it to the church through that contact form. So feel free to take advantage of that. We hope you're uh, be blessed and encouraged this morning by the service. Um, would you join with me in reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verse 28? And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them, and as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, Already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Would you join me this morning in prayer? Father, thank you for the blessing of gathering this morning on this Palm, Sun on this Palm Sunday to worship and praise you, Father God, for your Son, Father, even in the midst of a 
crisis, a virus that the world's experiencing at this time, your victory most poignantly pointed out in this triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem is unchanged. You have overcome the world. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he rode into Jerusalem. Thank you that he, without hesitation, moved steadily towards the cross. Father, we just pray for the the week ahead that you would prepare our hearts, Father God, as we come to Easter morning. May our, our hearts be filled with the joy of our salvation, Father God, through Christ Jesus. May you bless the service this morning. May you bless the message of Pastor John that it would be encouraging to the congregation. Watch over your people, Father God. Sustain us, protect us, keep us. May we honor and glorify you with our response to the crisis, Father God. We thank you for all these things and pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we hope you enjoyed the service. We're glad you're with us. Hey, greetings, Grace Bible Church. Welcome to Palm Sunday, our online service, and we are glad that you are tuning in and are with us through the internet. And just like last week, I miss you. And I know we miss each other, but this is good for us to uh, gain an appreciation uh, even greater of the body of Christ and and what a blessing it is when we are able to gather. And it's just going to be that much sweeter when... when uh, we are loud and, and able and healthy and uh, when it's safe for us to gather together again. I am looking forward to that day, but until then, uh, I am thankful that God has seen fit to keep, uh, keep me healthy enough to uh, lead some worship with you uh, online. And uh, Emily is not with us today because she is doing online papers and uh, getting used to this whole new uh, Biola University remote, and so uh, she's not with us today, so you'll have to, um, we will definitely miss her voice, but uh, I will do my best, okay? It's Palm Sunday, let's uh, start out with Hosanna. Praise is rising eyes are turning to you we turn to you hope is stirring hearts are yearning for you we long for you cause when we see you we find strength to face the day. In your presence, all our fears are washed away. Washed away. Hosanna. Hosanna. 
God who saves us, worthy of all our praises. Hear the sound of hearts returning to you. We turn to you in your kingdom. Broken lives are made new. You make us new. Cause when we see you, we find strength to face the day. In your presence, all our fears are washed away, washed away. Hosanna, Hosanna, you are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises. Hosanna, Hosanna, come have your way among us, we welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Hosanna. up high Jesus and uh, the next song is Jesus Messiah by the way when you hear me I'm going to introduce the song if you get that and if you want uh, hit pause and uh, pull up on the internet the lyrics and sing along I really hope you're singing along all right because I'm not really one to want to sit down and uh, do a performance this is for us to sing together as the people of God so I hope you're singing along at home okay don't be shy He became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. He humbled himself and carried the cross, love so amazing, love so amazing. Jesus Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sinners. The ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah, Lord of all. His body, the bread 
His blood, the wine, broken and poured out all for love. The hall earth trembled and the veil was torn. Love so amazing. Love so amazing. Jesus Messiah. Name above all names. Blessed Redeemer. Emmanuel. The rescue for sinners. The ransom from heaven. Jesus Messiah, Lord of all, all our hope is in you, all our hope is in you, all the glory to you, God. Jesus Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sinners, the from heaven, Jesus Messiah, Lord of all, Jesus Messiah, Lord of all. Hey, if you want to uh, find the lyrics here, the next song is Victory in Jesus. And uh, no excuses on this one. As a family, as you're gathered there, uh, sing along. I heard about, oh, Michael edited that out. <coughs> <coughs> one from the blooper reel. I heard an old, old story 
How a Savior came from glory How he gave his life on Calvary To save a wretch like me I heard about his groaning Of his precious blood's atoning Then I repented of my sins And won the victory Oh, victory in Jesus my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about his healing of his cleansing power revealing how he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see and then I cried dear Jesus come and heal my broken spirit and somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory oh victory in Jesus, my Savior, forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea. About the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him. All my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Have a great Lord's Day. Have a great Palm Sunday. And uh, be ready for Easter next week where we will rejoice and uh, celebrate our risen Savior. Good morning, church, and uh, thank you for being here again. It is a blessing to be in the Lord's house. It's a great opportunity for us to open up his word and to see what he has for us from it. I want to encourage you this morning, as I mentioned earlier in, in the introduction, this is our third week of um, shelter in place or shelter at home mandate. 
And I hope and pray that you're following that mandate and you're staying encouraged and staying uh, strong in your faith through this process. And just wanted to encourage you with a few things that you can do during this time. Obviously, you're at home with your family, so work at uh, strengthening your family time. And maybe some things that you haven't been able to do in the past because of just busyness, uh, now you have the opportunity to do with your family. And so take advantage of that. It, it could very well be that this is why the Lord has brought us into this moment of a slowing down moment is that we can emphasize some things within our family. So strengthen your family, develop some family devotional time where you're teaching and encouraging and uh, just walking closer with the Lord. And then remember to encourage one another in the Lord. Uh, scripture tells us, I believe it's Ephesians 6 and verse 4, that we're to raise up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And this is a great opportunity, a great season for us to develop some habits, um, develop some traditions, develop some things that we can carry on beyond uh, this uh, season of isolation. Today is also uh, Palm Sunday, and so we celebrate the Lord's entrance into Jerusalem in, prep in preparation for his crucifixion. Friday, we will celebrate Good Friday, which is a celebration or the reminder of his crucifixion. And then next Sunday, by the grace of God, we will celebrate Easter. And I was reading an, an article this week. Um, you might have seen it. Maybe it wasn't an article, but just a Facebook post, I think it was. And it, it said something to the effect of, it's okay that the church is empty on Easter because the tomb was also empty on Easter. And I thought that was kind of appropriate, something that we can uh, just press into and, and, and acknowledge, and, and, and it will be empty. The church will be empty, but the tomb is also empty. I do want to invite you and encourage you to set aside next Sunday um, your 9.30 time to join us as we will have services that morning, and um, we'll just seek to embrace the resurrection of Christ and what that means to us and what that means for us. So during this season, while we're isolated, we have time to think and time to meditate and time to study. Let us make sure that um, Christ's resurrection, his death, his atonement are, are central to our, to our thinking. If you'd like to join me this morning, Hebrews chapter number 10 is where we're at in our study through the book of Hebrews. So Hebrews chapter number 10, and this morning we're actually going to close out the 10th chapter and move into, um, Lord willing, next week or, or the following week, I haven't decided yet, chapter number 11 uh, because chapter number 11 is a really good passage to deal with uh, in regards to resurrection because there is such a, uh, a richness to the faith that is exposed in Hebrews 11. So I haven't decided yet as to if I'm going to go that direction or if the Lord's going to lead me in a different direction, but um, we'll be in Hebrews 11 in the, in the next couple of weeks for sure. Um, these uh, last verses of this chapter, the last eight verses, verse 32 down to verse 39, are transitional in nature. And we see that in verse 32 by the use of the conjunction but. 
And when we see that word, but, we're immediately um, brought to, to, to see some transition that's taking place, some altering of direction. And if you'll remember from last week, the author of Hebrews gives a, a, a real stern um, warning, if you will, about slipping away from the faith. And he's going to transition from this stern warning about slipping away from the faith to what I would call some instruction about how not to slip away from the faith. Um, the main theme of this morning's message and the main theme of these verses is perseverance. So if you're taking notes, that would be the, the theme. Right? The title of the message is Persevere to Avoid Slipping. So just join me if you would. Um, I'm, gonna read, I'm actually going to read verse 26 down to the last verse of the chapter and um, just to give us a context. The Bible says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses died without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Just to pause there for a moment and, and reiterate what we talked about last week. This is a strong, the strongest of all five of the warning passages in the book of Hebrews, especially as relates to what we believe. And uh, we know that what we believe is foundational to who we are. And we also know that what we believe dictates how we act and how we live. So we don't want to necessarily, and the author doesn't want us to focus on how we act as much as he wants us to focus on how we believe or, or what we believe. And if you clean the inside of the cup, the outside will take care of itself. If you focus on the outside of the cup, the, the inside will get neglected, and ultimately it is the inside that, that really matters. So verse 32 through 39 will be our main context this morning, which is dealing with perseverance. And I'll stop to, to, to meditate on a few, a few words here uh, just to show you where that's at, and then we'll unpack the entire passage. The author says, but recall the former things when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. If you just circle that word or underline that word endured here, that's going to be a part of our focus this morning. That word is the same as the idea of perseverance, um, that you persevered a hard struggle with suffering, uh, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who were treated. For you have compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of assurance, 
or you have need of endurance. And there's that word again. We read it in verse 32. Now we're reading it again. We have that word for perseverance or endurance. It's mentioned here, endurance. It's also in 32, endurance. And the word simply means perseverance. You, what, what you have in this passage of Scripture is you really have two sections that deal with um, persevering, and they're both set off by or begin with the, I, this term for perseverance. So you want to note that again. We see that word persevere here or endure. He says, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will, and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul shall take no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Please join me in prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the the life that it brings We're thankful, Lord, for the instruction that we receive from it, the grace that is taught in it, the faith that is produced by it. We're thankful that you thought of us when you wrote it and gave us a a message that we can learn about you and can grow in our understanding of you and our knowledge of you, a book that will transform our life, transform lives if received by faith. And so my prayer this morning is is that we will receive what we hear this morning by faith and that it will impact um, how we live. It will impact especially how we function within within this trial that we're in right now with the coronavirus and this worldwide crisis that we're facing. I pray that you would cause us to have just a a rich, um, deep focus on Christ during this time and that we would be a a unique people as the people of Christ persevering through this difficult time. We love you and thank you for the privilege that you've given us to communicate your word um, virtually to your church. Lord, please um, be with those who are home today who are um, maybe sick, maybe vulnerable to sickness, those who have different struggles. We pray that you would bring healing you would bring protection and provision to them. Lord, please be with those who are at home right now and they're feeling discouraged or depressed and they're feeling the weight of this moment and this crisis and it's very heavy on them and their families and maybe they know someone that's dealing with this virus in a, in a very real way. Please, Lord God, uplift their hearts, encourage their hearts, bind up their wounds and uh, use them, Lord God, to glorify your name. Maybe there are people at home that are just worried and they're fearful of this situation. I pray, dear God, that you would be with them. Lord, may we not miss your purposes here. May we grow in faith. May we grow in knowledge and understanding of who you are and how you function in the midst of crisis. Please bless this time, Lord. Be glorified in it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Most of us can remember hearing, reading, or watching a news report about the 33 Chilean miners who were trapped under 770,000 tons of rock. 
the weight of the stones in the weight of the stone entombing these men was twice the weight of the entire Empire State Building. One of the men, Luis Urzua, who was the crew supervisor, remarked, it was like the stone they put over Jesus' tomb. Thirty-three men trapped for 69 days with limited resources. A rock the size of a 45-story building in their way and very little hope of rescue. It was reported the men organized themselves into work shifts, participated in daily prayer sessions, and rationed their emergency food supply into one meal a day, two cookies and a spoonful of tuna fish, augmented by water drained from an industrial waste container. A journalist noted, neither the, neither the miners buried under half a mile of rock nor their families above ground in a makeshift tent city called Camp Hope ever completely succumbed to despair, despite the fact it was 17 days before a drill finally broke through to their refuge. And up to this point, no one even knew whether or not they were alive. It was reported that on day 17, when the engineers returned the drill bit to the surface, a note was attached. We are all well in the refuge, signed the 33. On October 13, 2010, all 33 miners were raised safely to the earth's surface to be restored to their families and to their friends. I read this simple narrative or, or news report or story about these men. It's a true story, but I read it to give you an, an idea of perseverance, uh, of what it means to, what it looks like to persevere, to, to perhaps draw you in to understanding what, it, what perseverance looks like. After reading this uh, narrative or this news report in the newspaper, uh, recently I, I actually Googled the, the paper that reported it and, and, and read it to, to refresh my memory of it. But upon reading it, I was reminded of two verses of Scripture that I think are, are helpful and healthy for us during the crisis that we're in today. Psalm 91 and verse 4, and also Psalm 57 and verse 1. The Bible says, He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His, his faithfulness is as a shield and a buckler. And then 57.1 says, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. What we see in this simple story and in these, in these verses of Scripture is we see the, the example, the epitome of perseverance. When all reasonable and logical hope are lost, a person must find something that is bigger than their circumstances, bigger than their situation, that's bigger than their problem, that causes them to persevere, to keep on going, or, as mentioned last week, to keep from slipping, which is really what perseverance does. If you think of the idea of perseverance as just standing firm, 
standing stable, standing secure, then it, it makes sense why he gives us a whole preceding text about not slipping. It's important to note, before we get into our, our points here, it's important to note that based upon Hebrews 10, 26 through 31, the condition of those slipping away from their faith is more serious than the, 30, than the 33 men who were trapped. While their entombment could have led to their physical death, it is well noted in the previous passage of Scripture that the slipping away from your faith leads to eternal destruction. Like the 33, it takes a serious perseverance to keep from slipping, especially in the moment of crisis. And this is why this morning's message is how to persevere. I want to stop and take a moment and just say to you that for those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, there is a, there is a level of preservation that the Holy Spirit guarantees us. There isn't a um, there, there, there really isn't the possibility of slipping away for somebody who has truly entered into God's family. We call this the, the perseverance of the saints or the preservation of the saints, some would describe it as. But when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, we are, we are secure, we are safe, we are eternally a part of his family. John 10 says, no one can separate us from the hand of God that God's hand has us secure, that nobody could take us out of God's hands, nobody could take us out of Jesus' hands, that it is, it is he who is holding on to us and not we who are holding on to him. In Romans 8, the scripture tells us nobody can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you're a believer this morning, I want to encourage your heart that the grace of God is sufficient not only to save you, but it is also sufficient to secure you. It is sufficient eternally. What I also want to challenge you with is that this passage of Scripture in the end of Hebrews 10 is, is written, to, it's written to people who are confessing to be Christians. Uh, they're professing to be followers of Jesus Christ. Maybe they've had an experience uh, of faith or a moment where they said a prayer or they, they did a, a ceremony or a ritual that was Christian in nature, and they felt like it was in that moment that they secured for themselves this eternal hope. This is the people that the author is writing to, and he writes very, very strongly to these people that they do secure, they do stabilize, they do um, rest in what Jesus Christ has done for them. They make sure of their salvation. The Lord says in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5 to test yourself to see that you're in the faith. And then in Peter, the, uh, Peter says to us to, um, he says to make your calling and election sure. So it's so important that as we look at this passage of Scripture that we not take it lightly. He's calling us to persevere. He tells us in Matthew chapter 24, he says, those who persevere till the end will be saved. 
So the idea of perseverance is not an optional thing. It's not an insignificant thing. It's not an insufficient thing. The idea of of perseverance is is the call into every believer's life. The promise of perseverance is a guarantee for every believer. Even in 1 John 2, it says that you, there was a group of people that had fallen away from the church, and it says that they were never of the body of Christ, or never of the church. They were never apart, and the falling away was symbolic of that. So perseverance is, is necessary for a person to is a is necessary for a person to make it to the end. It's nece- it's it's a part of our salvation. It's the perseverance of Christ in us. So I, I say all of that because because I don't want you to think that you can lose your salvation, that you can forfeit your salvation, that you can walk away from your salvation. Because none of those things are true. All of those things are errors. That's all. That's all heresy. However, what I also want to caution you, warn you about is there are those who are falsely convinced of their salvation and they're not persevering for the Lord. And it is crisis that exposes these moments in our life. It is crisis that exposes our faith. And so I want to just unfold this for you in regards to to how do we persevere or, or what do we do to persevere? So the first thought is what is perseverance? If you're taking notes, what is perseverance? Verse 32 and verse 36 use the word endurance to describe perseverance. It's the idea of we're not running a 100-yard dash, but we're running, we're running the three-mile or the five-mile race or the 10-mile race, or maybe we're running the marathon. I think that's 26 miles we're running the long race. The Christian life is not the short race, it's the long race. It's the, it's the endurance, it's the staying at it. It's the, it's, the, it's the getting up in the morning like the turtle does and it, and it just keeps going forward. And it, it's not like the hare that, that wants to just race ahead and then stop and quit, but it just keeps moving forward. So this word endurance is used to describe perseverance and um, and, to, and it sets off both of these sections that's where it's going to describe these things. To give you the definition of this word, I think is important and valuable. It's, a, it's actually a compound group Greek word, a compound Greek word, which means it's two words put together. And, and when you take the words apart and define each word, it helps us understand the whole of the, of the meaning of the word. So to start with, the Greek word is hupa mono, and we'll start with hupa, which is the first part of that word. And so the word hupa means to be under something. And if you think of yourself in a position of being under, I connected it when I was studying it. I just connected in my mind to the, all of that rock that was over those men, uh, half a mile of rock, the the, uh, the level of, of rock, the weight of that rock, all of, that thing, all of those things were, were on top of those men. That was that, that weight or that pressure was on those men for that period of time. So they were under the, they were under the weight of those rocks. Another definition of that word is to be subject to a person or a thing or to be under a person or a thing. The scripture deals with this on several occasions in the book of Peter about 
um, being under a, a master, being under authority. Um, and we'll look at some verses to describe that here in just a moment. So first, if you're thinking of defining this word, it, it starts with being under something. So we, we're, when we are persevering, it means that we are under something. And then the last part of that, hupa mano, the hupa again under, and then mano means to be, to abide there to remain there, to dwell there, to, to, to endure there. It means that we're under something for an extended period of time. Okay, and the, the longer we're under the something that we're under, whatever it is that we're under, the longer we're under that thing, the more perseverance it takes to stay there. And for most of us, we want to escape those difficulties, escape those challenges, escape those moments. We're, we're excited today that God, that we're excited that May 3rd is going to come very, very quickly for us because we'll be out from underneath the pressures, the problems, the difficulties of the coronavirus. We're looking forward to be setting free from it, but the reality of it is that Perseverance is not the escaping of the coronavirus or the challenge that we're in, but it's the ability, perseverance is the ability to dwell or to abide under whatever it is that we're under. Perseverance for those men in the story in my introduction was 69 days of being under the pressures that were faced, that they faced every day from those rocks being over the top of them. The pressure of not having food, the pressure of not having uh, uh, connections to people outside of that, the, pre- the pressures of not having hope. This is the uh, perseverance, is the ability to dwell, to abide, to remain under something. So I put the two together. Persevere means it's learning to abide or to live under. And it's Let's almost look at that as not being the end of the sentence, but, but put another word after that. Under what? Under pressure, under difficulty, under stress, under persecution, under injustice, under suffering, under pain, under cruelty, under difficulty. Perseverance is learning to live and abide under these things. We know that as this is being written, and also First Peter is written, it's written in such a way as to help us understand in the most difficult of circumstances, when in Peter they're being beheaded and their heads are being placed on poles and being uh, dipped in oil and used to light up communities for being Christians, right? That they're being taught in, the, in First and Second Peter how to, how to live under that. You'll never see in 1 Peter or 2 Peter this idea of rising up against. It is really instruction on how and, and hope, instruction and hope on how to live under a certain situation or difficulty. This is what it means to persevere. The dictionary describes perseverance as persistence in doing something, persistence in doing something despite the difficulty or delay in achieving success. James 5 and verse 11 says, Behold, we consider these those blessed who remain steadfast. We consider those blessed who learn how to live under. And then he says this, You have heard of the steadfastness 
You have heard of the perseverance of Job. You have heard of the perseverance of Job. And you have seen the purposes of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is what it means to persevere. This is what we're called to in those moments where we're standing on slippery ground theologically or even practically. We're standing on slippery ground. We're feeling our feet sliding out from underneath us. It's it's in those moments that we must persevere. I want you to turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. If we're going to persevere, we have this great example of what it looks like to persevere in 1 Peter chapter number 2. The Lord says this in verse 18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. And be subject to them just means to live under them. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow, endures there, again, that same idea, perseveres sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it and you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it and endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness." This is the epitome, Christ Jesus is the epitome of somebody who who chose willingly to persevere, to live under the pressures, the challenges of dishonesty, the challenges of false claims and abuse. Jesus Christ lived under those things, and he didn't just live under them, he lived under them graciously. He lived under them joyfully. He lived under them purposefully. And these are things that we can learn from. These are things that we can grow from as well. Hebrews 12 tells us in verse 2, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him persevered. He endured the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. If you want to know this morning an example, the epitome of perseverance, somebody who showed us what it looked like to live under, Jesus Christ is that epitome. Jesus Christ is that example for us. He not only lived under the sovereignty of the heavenly father, of the fatherly care, of the comforts of the Holy Spirit, but Jesus Christ lived under all of the pressures of this world, all of the challenges and difficulties of this world, and he did it for us. Not only is Jesus the example, but experience is our teacher. James 1 says, count it all joy, my brothers, will you meet various types of trials, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness 
has, when it has its fullest effect, that you will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It is experience that is our teacher. It is experience that is our guide. A young student uh, in seminary once asked his professor, he said, Professor, will you, will you pray for me that I would have patience? And the professor graciously said, I would love to pray for you that you would have patience. And he asked the young man to kneel down, and they kneeled down together, and the professor began to pray for this young man to have trials and tribulations and difficulties. And he began to pray for all of these specific challenges that could come in this young man's life. And the young man... The story goes that the young man actually interrupted the professor and said, no, 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 you, you, you didn't understand what I was asking for. I, I want the Lord to give me patience. And this wise professor said to the young man, he said, I am praying the Lord will give you patience because it is through these trials that the Lord gives us patience. It is through trials and challenges that we learn what it means to persevere It is through difficulty that we learn what it means to be steadfast. And the reality is this morning, folks, it is through challenges and difficulties that we are given the greatest opportunity to be a light to a world that doesn't know what it means to persevere. So that would be a definition of perseverance. The second thing, the second point this morning is when when is perseverance important? When we go back to our text and look at it, for a moment, it says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you, you endured a struggle with suffering. And then it goes down into verse number, um, let's see, verse number 38. Well, verse number 37, it says, for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. In both of these verses, the first verse, you have this um, pointing back to when this person was first enlightened, first given the light of the truth. And then in verse number 37, you're reminded of this delay that's going on right now. The Lord has delayed his return. And, you know, the Bible tells us that he's delayed his return for a reason. But the delaying of his return and the, and the beginning of a person's conversion are important to when it's important to persevere. So just remember this, the strongest moment for a believer, the strongest moment for a believer is the moment of illumination. And illumination, it just means understanding. And again, in this context, and also in Hebrews 6, you have people that were illuminated but weren't saved. So it doesn't mean that they were saved, but they come to a a different level of understanding of the gospel. So remember, the strongest moment for believers is the moment of illumination. But from the moment of illumination, you begin the process of persevering. If you you have some time, read Matthew 13 in the parable of the sowers. What you will see is that immediately when that seed is thrown onto the ground, and the ground is a picture of your heart, and the seed is the gospel, immediately when that seed falls onto the ground, immediately Satan is there to attack it. Immediately, Satan is there to try to sweep it away, to, to bring doubt or distrust or, or whatever it might, to bring fear. Immediately, once the gospel hits that soil, the devil is there to remove it. So when is it important to persevere? It's important to persevere immediately after a person is saved. However, 
Okay, it's, it's most important to persevere the further and further you are away from the promise. The further a person gets from the promise, the harder it is to persevere. Okay, um, we see this in this text where it talks about delaying. Delaying was a, a, a reason why people were struggling to persevere. And so, and throughout the Bible, we see the same thing. The further people get from the promise, the more they doubt. Let me give you a few examples. In Exodus chapter number 20, when Moses goes up onto the mountain to receive the commandments from the Lord, and he, he spends some time up there in fellowship with the Lord, the children of Israel, you guys, you'll remember the story, the children of Israel begin to worship idols, and they, they throw their gold into this pot, and out comes this calf, at least that's what they say. And, uh, you know, good excuse, Right? But they, they throw their stuff in this calf. They begin to worship this idol. When Moses comes back down, here's what their answer is. Well, you, you, you took too long. So the day that Moses left to go and commune with God, everybody was, was fine. But then 40 days later, Moses has been up there for a season, and the people are beginning to do what? They're beginning to doubt. And this is where perseverance is important. Matthew 24 the master goes on a journey, and he has two servants. He leaves them there, and he tells them, I'm going to return. But he delays his return for a long season of time. And the one servant, because he concludes the master is not going to come back, he begins to doubt the Lord. He begins to doubt the master, and he begins to live in, in sin. He begins to live in debauchery. The master comes back like he said he was going to do, and he punishes the servant drastically. This is somebody that didn't persevere. Matthew 25, there's a story of 10 virgins, and they all were prepared to go to the wedding if the, if the, if the groom would have come the, the night before or a week earlier, all of, those, all of those virgins would have made it to the wedding, but the groom delayed his coming, and when, the, when he finally came, the, the five virgins didn't have enough oil in their lamp. So what happened? Their perseverance was tested. They didn't have enough to make it because there was a delay. This is why the Lord warns us on several times in, the, in Matthew 24 and other passages of scriptures to always be ready for the Lord to return. Revelation chapter number 2, the story of the church at Ephesus, the letter to the church at Ephesus. Well, what happened to them? Well, over time, they lost their first love. In each case, you have time being the test of somebody's faith. You have time being the test of somebody's perseverance and perseverance being the test of somebody's faith. The true test of the authenticity, uh, the true test of the authenticity of a person's faith is time. The true test of the authenticity of a person's faith is time. And in crisis, especially in crisis, when hope is postponed, it even makes it more challenging to believe and persevere. Think about it this way. We've been told, we were told Easter was going to be the day that we would be able to come back to church. Now we've been told May 3rd. If it continues to get pushed out, it's going to be more likely that we're going to begin to doubt whether or not we're ever going to be able to come back together and meet, right? I mean, it's just going to be natural that we're going to begin to doubt the promises that are being made to us because they're being pushed out. That's the idea of when hope is postponed, it causes us to doubt. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred 
makes the heart sick. And then Matthew 24, 13 says, but the, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So when is it important to persevere? It is, it is the longer we're needing to persevere, the more important it is to persevere. Let's go on. Number three, when is perseverance challenged? Or in other words, let me say it this way. There are moments in your life where your perseverance is going to be challenged at its greatest. I was reading this morning in Luke 4 when Jesus Christ is tempted in the wilderness. I believe he's there for 40 days and he doesn't eat and the devil tempts him three times at the end. And then the devil realizes he's not going con- to convince the Lord to, to uh, fall, right? Amen. I'm glad of that. Um, but he says that he's going to leave him and come back at an opportune time. In other words, the devil's not convinced that he's not going to get the Lord from falling but he's convinced that this is not the right time. In the same way with us, the devil is going to attack us in opportune times and in opportune ways. He knows where our weaknesses are. He knows where we're most vulnerable, and he's going to attack us in those ways. So let me give you four or five of those really quick. These are times or events when perseverance is challenged, when it's easier to fall and slip, okay? So first of all is at gospel exposure, He says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, and then it gives us three types of tests that were given, and we'll get into those in a moment. But it's at the moment of conversion, or or, let me rephrase that. It's at the moment of enlightenment, that moment when a person hears the gospel. It's at that moment when, when perseverance is at its most important state. Okay, Satan is going to attack that person because they are still weak in their faith, or perhaps not even in their faith yet. The war begins at the beginning. So perseverance starts the moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. The moment you put your faith in him, you give your life to him, you need to note this, that that's when Satan's going to attack you. He's going to come and he is going to attack you with all that he has. And this is what he does here. He says, remember, when you first were brought the truth, you were immediately attacked by Satan. You were immediately attacked by him because that's what Satan is like. It's almost like, a, uh, if you think about it from the animal kingdom, it's like these, these predators out there, they go after the weakest of the animals or they wait for the one who was, who was left behind or who was falling back and they attack that one, right? The same principle with the devil. He is, he is waiting to attack us in the moment of our greatest weakness and there is no, there is no moment, especially if we haven't, fully put our faith in Christ, that we're at our weakest than when we hear the gospel, but we haven't yet received it. And so I believe that right away you see in this text that there's an immediate attack after a person hears the gospel, and it's an attack on their faith. It's an attack, and they need to persevere. They need to be faithful, and they need to, let's say that this is a Sunday morning, and I'm like, I hear the gospel, and it's like, I'm almost there. It's so important that you come back the next Sunday morning because that's perseverance, And that's what's going to get you through and get you to where you're going, get you to the end. So he says, at gospel exposure is the first one. Go on with me. He says, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. The second one is a hard struggle with suffering. You say, what does that mean, Pastor John? It simply means, and this is the second point, it is an unrelenting challenge. And the word means to be unrelenting, to be constant. 
And, to be, and, it, and, it, and the word with suffering, it, it carries with the idea of challenges or difficulties. So this is a, when, when we, this is how it is, especially as Christians. When we, when we expect things to get better and they actually get worse, right? Maybe you've been there before where you're like, I know this is going to end today. And then tomorrow it's worse than it was today. This is an unrelenting challenge. This is an, an unrelenting attack. The, the word hard struggle, it literally carries with it the idea of conflict. This is a challenge. This is a war that's going on for your faith. And this is why it's important to persevere, especially when you're initially exposed to the gospel and then when you're, when you're inundated with overwhelming, unrelenting, constant challenges. This refers both to the number of your problems and the size of your problems. So maybe you're a person today who has one problem, but it's really big. Or maybe you're one of those people who has a thousand problems, but none of them are that big. The issue is, do you have the perseverance to learn to live underneath those problems and to do it by faith? Unrelenting challenges is the second time it's necessary or important to persevere. Number three is public humiliation. He goes on to say, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And this is the pressure of being mocked or, or laughed at. Satan is really good at mocking people. And, and the reality of it is the, uh, Satan's... Um, Followers are also really good at being, uh, being uh, mockers and, and laughers. Proverbs is full of the idea of the mocker. You can't watch too much TV, especially not comedy, where you're going to find the name of Christ being mocked or Christians being, being laughed at. When we face public humiliation, it's a very slippery slope, especially when it comes to what we believe and what we hold on to and what we're willing to die for. The picture of this phrase is simple. It literally means to be put on a stage. It's almost like if you're in a, if you're in a, a, a comedy club and you're sitting there and you're nervous and, and that comedian picks you out and he, he notices something about you that he knows everybody's going to laugh at and mock. And so he picks you out and he brings you up onto the stage and he puts you up there and he begins to pick you apart. Think about that with me for a moment. That's what Satan does. That's what the world does. And begin to pick you apart piece by piece as to how many flaws you have, how many failures you have, how many uh, difficulties you have. And they just pick you apart. And everybody in the crowd laughs at you. You think that's a slippery moment? It's a slippery moment, isn't it? Public humiliation is a time where our perseverance is challenged. Are we able to live under public humiliation? He not only says that, but he goes on to talk about um, number four, which I wrote down as humbling partnerships. It's not when you're publicly humiliated, but maybe somebody that you are connected to is publicly humiliated. Maybe you're one of those people that has felt like distancing yourself from certain people because maybe they're too bold with the gospel. Maybe they're too real about the gospel. Maybe they're too serious about the gospel. Maybe they're too transparent about the gospel. Maybe they're a little bit crazy about the gospel. So your connection to those people, you begin to say, I don't know if I really like that because they're just extreme. This is a challenge of your perseverance. Can you stay true 
in those moments of difficulty. He goes on, lastly, he says, for you have had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your possessions since you knew that you yourselves had a greater possession and an abiding one. The last thing that challenges our, our perseverance, our endurance, is the disrespect, or as the text says, the plundering of our rights and our possessions. When our possessions and our rights begin to be attacked, we are on a slippery slope. And remember this, Satan will allow our possessions, or Satan will attack our possessions, he'll attack our rights so that he can get us to give up that which is eternally valuable. The world, the world will let us have what is ours for a price. The devil wants us to hold on as tight as we can to what we possess. The devil wants us to hold on as tight as we can to what our rights are because what he knows is, is if we hold on to what we have and we hold on to our rights, we forsake the servanthood. We forsake the, the submission. We forsake the living under those things. We forsake our responsibility and opportunity to profess Christ in all that we do. Satan offered Jesus the opportunity to cling to that which was rightfully his. He offered him to have all of the things that were already his, but he offered them to him now, and he offered them to him at a great price. And listen, Satan is attacking us today with offering us things that are already eternally ours. They've already, it's already been settled that we will have them forever in heaven. The riches, the wealth, the health, wealth, and prosperity in heaven is something that's already ours. But the world and the devil will offer it to us now if we will only sacrifice our souls for it. Are possessions more valuable than your soul? Matthew 16, 26 says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his own soul? What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world, all of his rights, all of his possessions, all that was his, if he gained all of that but he lost his own soul? And then it says, Or what will a man give in exchange or return for his soul? Perseverance is challenged in all of these categories. Whatever you're facing, our perseverance is being challenged today by a health crisis. Are we able to live under? The last thought this morning is, how has perseverance helped? There are three things in our text that will help us as we face difficult challenges, will help us to persevere. The first one is, have a good memory. He says in verse number 32, recall the former days. Have a good memory and be able to think back and remember certain things. And there are three things that he wants us to remember. Number one, remember your enlightenment. In other words, remember the moment when you heard the gospel and you understood it. Remember that moment when you believed the gospel and you felt your sins being removed and your burdens of life being lifted. Remember the moment when you had freedom and peace and joy and purpose in your life based upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember that moment that Jesus Christ took residence in his spirit in your body. Remember that moment. Remember that feeling. Remember that, that power, that freedom, that liberation that took place. This is why the Apostle Paul warns us in Galatians and in other New Testament epistles, don't give up the freedom that the Lord has given you. Remember 
that moment of enlightenment. Remember that moment when you heard the gospel and you believed it and everything felt new and fresh and free. Remember the enlightenment. Number two, remember your victories. He does talk about this. I won't look at it, but you can read it in your text. You see, he talks about, remember the victories that you had over unrelenting battles. Remember the victories you had under under innumerable difficulties. I wrote this down for your benefit. Remember the lion and the bear when you're going up to face the Goliath. Just like David did. Think back to a victory that you've had in the past. Think back to what God has already done. Think back to the victory that he has already given. Even in relation to the coronavirus and the challenges that we're facing today, there, there are things that we can look back to and we can see the powerful hand of our God to bring deliverance to us. Remember our victories over relenting or unrelenting and innumerable struggles. Remember our victory over public shame and mockery. Remember the victory that we had when we joyfully accepted the seizure of our possessions, the seizing of our possessions. Remember those moments. And maybe you're sitting here listening to this message and you say, Pastor John, I don't have any of those moments. Well, that's okay because that leads me into my next point. Remember the victories of others. Sometimes these are not victories that you've had yourself personally or recently or or, or whatever. Maybe you're even a new believer in this moment. But listen, you can look at the scriptures and you can see men who had victories. You can see the apostles being victorious. You can see Jesus Christ being victorious. You can see these things being fleshed out in innumerable ways to see the power of of the resurrection of Christ in you. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. The victory that we have in Christ. Have a good memory. Be able to look back and see what the Lord has done in the past. And, and then don't look at this moment as necessarily, uh, don't look at this moment as a um, a loss or a failure, but look at this moment as an opportunity for God to show himself powerful. For my friends, that is exactly the moment that we're living in right now. Number two, have a good memory. Number two, have an eternal perspective. We see this back in our text again. It talks about the reward. It talks about the end reward, which is talking about eternal reward. It talks about the return of Christ. It talks about preserving your soul In each case, you're talking about eternal things. Remember this, in order to persevere, in order to persevere, you must always keep your eye on the prize. You must keep your eyes on the end. You must look to the goal. No pain, no tears, no sorrow. Eternal peace and harmony with God and his people. Eternal acceptance and no wars. Eternal health, wealth, and prosperity in God's kingdom. These are promises that we must keep our eyes on if we're going to live under today. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. But this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are transient, or they're passing away. But the things that are seen are, or the things that are unseen are eternal. Live with an eternal 
perspective. And then thirdly, live by faith. He says it twice here in this text. These are quotes from Romans and and Habakkuk and, and Galatians as well, where it says, the just shall live by faith. What is living by faith? Living by faith is simply living with your eyes open to the invisible and living with your eyes closed to the visible. In other words, faith is living in acceptance of what we can't see, that the reality that we can't see is actually our reality because of what God's word says. Faith is seeing the invisible. Faith is believing the unbelievable. Faith is expecting the impossible. And faith is resting in the Savior. Faith is knowing that Jesus Christ is sufficient in his death, burial, and resurrection to make us new creatures. If we are going to persevere, live under whatever pressure God has decided to allow into our lives, we must learn to live by faith. In closing, I'd like to read to you out of the book of 2 Corinthians. I want to present to you, in closing, three passages of Scripture from 2 Corinthians. And I want you to see the Apostle Paul, and I want you to see what it looks like to live under. To learn to live under. The Apostle Paul learned to live under. He learned to persevere, which made him an impossible which made him an unstoppable asset to God. He learned to live under. 2 Corinthians, three passages, chapter 11, verse 23. The Apostle Paul says this. Verse 23. I can find it here. He says, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. Am I talking like a madman with far greater labors, with far greater labors, far greater imprisonments, with, with countless beatings, with often and often near death? Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in, in, cold, in cold and in exposure, and often from other things there is The daily pressure on me, my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, he hath blessed. He who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. The Apostle Paul learned to live under. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to know that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted on in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not give, driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in our body the death of Jesus 
so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal bodies. So death is at work in us and life in you. The Apostle Paul learned to live under. Lastly, in chapter number 12 of 2 Corinthians, verse 7, the Bible says, so to keep me from becoming conceited or prideful because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited or prideful. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it might, that he should, that it should leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What does the Apostle Paul teach us? He teaches us what it looks like to live under. In the moments that we find ourselves in today, we must learn as Christians to live under. We must learn to live under pressure. We must learn to live under difficulty. We must learn to live under health issues and financial issues. We must learn to live under. And not just live under, but as the Apostle Paul describes, to live under victoriously, to live under faithfully, to live under graciously, to live under selflessly, to live under humbly, that we can live under for the glory of Christ. That when people look and say, oh my goodness, there's something different about them. They're living under the same thing that I'm living under, but they're, they're different. And why is that? Well, it's because Christ lives in them. Christ is their example. I close with these few verses. The Bible says in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. I have learned the secret of facing abundance and need. I have learned the secret of facing health difficulties and healthiness. I've learned the secret of facing challenges, of facing failure, of facing weakness, and facing victory, and facing success, and facing strength. What is the Apostle Paul telling us? I've learned to live under. And then he says, in a verse that's familiar to most of us, I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. We thank you for the grace of your word, 
the power of your word, the sufficiency of your word. We thank you for the example that you've given us in Christ and your servants, the apostles. Help us, dear God. Help us as a church and help us as a people to persevere. Help us to learn to live rightly under. We're servants, Lord. We've been called to serve. We've been called to serve you. We've been called to serve others. We've been called to live under and to show people what it looks like to live under. And we shouldn't be ashamed of living under, for it is what Christ Jesus our Lord did. Please bless this sermon. Help it to be an encouragement to the hearts of those who receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning for this service. I hope and pray that it's been a blessing to your heart. And I pray that the Lord would continue to bring deliverance to us and he would help us to be lights in this dark moment in our culture and in our world. Some things coming up I just want to bring to your attention before we close. Um, Good Friday or this tomorrow or today, you'll be watching this today, is Palm Sunday and there'll be, tonight will be Bible, our normal Bible studies. The ladies will be at uh, 6 o'clock, and the men is at 7.30, and they're both on Zoom. So if you'd like information, we, we sent out information. We'll probably repeat sending that out, but, but please connect into that. Last week, there were 14 guys and 10 ladies in, this, in their respective groups, and it was really a blessed time. Um, Brother Robert, uh, Robert Netsley and, and uh, Tanya, Tanya Legaspi did a great job, and the interaction was good. And so if you can be involved in those things, please do so. I also want to encourage you with the community groups. If you're not a part of one that is using Zoom, please, um, please, 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 please find a way to get involved. Uh, you, I think you'll be encouraged by it. And then Good Friday. Friday night is going to be a unique night for us. We want to, we can't come to you, but we've been talking about, uh, Michael and I and Ron, we've been talking about how can we get the Lord's Supper, how can we take the Lord's Supper together around the season of Easter? So we're going to shoot for that on Friday night. What we'd like to have you do is sometime this week, purchase uh, some grape juice and uh, some wafers. And specifically, if you would, unleavened wafers but if you can't get that, then just get what you can, and the Lord understands. Um, bring those together, and then on Friday sometime, we're going to send you a video, and we want you to watch it around 7 o'clock, and we're going to walk through the Lord's Supper together. It'll be about a 30-minute uh, time. We'll have some songs. I think Darren is going to come to the church and record some songs, so it'll be about 30 to 45 minutes or so, not a long time, but we want to take the Lord's Supper together. So if you would join us for that on Friday night, Good Friday, and just remember what Christ has done for us in his death, and then Sunday we'll celebrate his resurrection together. Yes, virtually, but as was said earlier, the church will be empty, but the tomb is also empty. God bless you.